Hello, my name is James McDermott. I'm a writer, teacher and 26-year-old cisgendered man. As a gay man, I love men, but as a gay man, I dislike men too. As a camp man who talks and writes about his feelings, I have always questioned stereotypical masculine ideals. As stereotypical men aren't camp, don't talk about their feelings and certainly don't create plays and poems about them. As a 26-year-old, I feel I've learned and unlearned lots about being a man, but at 26, still have lots to learn and unlearn about being my own kind of man. In this podcast series, I will talk with several people to explore masculinity, try and work out why we love and hate men, whether there are such things as masculine ideals, how creativity can help men explore and express themselves, and what men still have to learn and unlearn about being their own kind of man. In this episode, I'm joined by Dan Simmons. Dan, hello. Thank you for joining us. Hello, James. Hello. So can I ask you first to tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you decide to come and chat on the podcast today? Sure. Um, So I'm a writer and I'm a leadership and transformation coach. And a lot of what I do, I guess, is really around um, looking at authenticity and I explore that through storytelling and embodiment which is something that I'm increasingly interested in how do how do we even go about figuring out who we really are you know I realized that through my writing it's essentially been a lifelong quest of stripping away layers and trying to figure out something around who I am and that's not just in the stories that I write, but also I have huge blocks in terms of writing. I really struggle with my writing. And so just the process of trying to write and exploring why I find that difficult and persevering with it, I'm learning something about myself. Um, And then the stories I write are often around people, you know, um, not being themselves at some moment in time and figuring out how they, um, what they need to do to be more themselves, to act more, um, congruently uh with integrity so yes it's it's a bit of this is i guess it's a bit of an inflection point really for me uh this moment in time i've quit my big job a few years ago i've been going through this change and all these questions feel like they're kind of coming together and all these different strands of my work suddenly coming into a, a sense of unity i guess Great, thank you so much. So there's so much I propose with there in terms of uh, trying to find yourself through the stories you write. Uh, as a gay man, I've spent so much of my uh, later teens and early adulthood, and even now as a writer, kind of trying to uh, make sense of my identity and my thoughts after growing up in a world that I felt quite invisible in because I didn't see myself in writing. I had to study at school. Um, so can I ask you about uh, how you use writing to try and locate yourself? And um, to talk a little bit more about that really interesting phrase about trying to find the truth through stories, because to some extent that sounds almost oxymoronic, um, about trying to find the truth about things through something that's made up. So I guess it's fundamentally um, one of the realisations I had, and I've struggled to put an age on this, um, but somewhere in late 20s, early 30s, 
so it really was, you know, when I was, I'd been writing for a while, um, although not, not writing loads or regularly, suddenly kind of realised that actually most of these uh, ideas had at their heart something that I was exploring in myself. So I genuinely didn't always realise that. You know, a lot of it was just going, well, that sounds an interesting character. That sounds an interesting character. And it was probably, yeah, I'd say maybe, I'm guessing late 20s. And there's a moment of going, oh, shit, <laughs> that's that's about this thing uh, or this question. Um, so that was a pretty huge light bulb moment of even just realising that in some shape or form, I was in, I was already in every idea that I had. So just that in itself going, you know, and I guess to some degree, you could say every idea we have, because it comes from us, Mm. there's a part of us in it. Um, But this was really that moment of realising that there was something deeper than that. These were all grappling with an aspect of myself that I didn't understand or maybe that I was uncomfortable with. So in terms of how I started to explore that, I guess the big breakthrough for me in my writing, and this is still a really ongoing um, struggle that I I grapple with um, all the time, um, is reminding myself to, to, to put myself in the story, you know, to have that confidence and vulnerability to to really question and 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 model out the part of me the version of me that is asking these questions that that character might be exploring and so there's a script I was working on 2 years ago um it's around fertility and and what modern families look like and what they're grappling with and it had four main characters. And, and so I had a very clear sense with this one particular, the final, the version I ended up going with, I could, I, I, I mapped out the version of me that each character represented and then would sit with that for a while. Yeah, and just really sit with that and sort of go, okay, so how do I feel that? How do I know that? How have I experienced that? And what kind of questions have I had in those moments? And if I've actually had conversations with friends or people around that, how have they actually played out? How did I know that I had questions around those topics? I love that. I think that's a great writing exercise that I'm going to steal. I think uh, so often um, with playwriting, I felt like I've been hiding, which is why I started writing poetry. I thought I was scared to take up space and scared to say things from my own body, really. I think so many of the reasons I wanted to be a playwright is so I could be heard but not seen um, and not have those words that are put out and coming out of my face and being judged from the body they're coming from. And I think I've worked through that the longer I've got into my 20s. So I think there's a real... I think I'm due that sense of honesty now that you have kind of just talked so beautifully about there and that sense of everything you write, where am I in this? Why am I the person telling this story? What's the truth of my life that I can bring to talk to me about how you see that story of masculinity do you think masculinity is a story that we all grow up with as well completely yeah absolutely and I think um 
you know, one of the stories I'm working on at the moment is a sort of uh, 15-year-old boy who's grappling with his identity. And, and you know, it's not at all autobiographical, and yet I draw on a huge amount of, of personal experience. And, um, yeah, I sort of think that was something without ever being... I mean, there were moments I was aware of it, but I can look back now and see how it was always something that played through, you know, sort of there's something around the point as a young kid when you go from getting hugs from someone to a handshake from someone, you know, the sort of from relatives. And I remember noticing that. I remember noticing this shift when my uncle went from hugging to handshakes. And it's almost kind of like, oh, there's a shift in our relationship dynamic here. Now I have to treat you differently. And I guess that's probably one of the early points of being very conscious of how men are supposed to or think they're supposed to interact with each other. Um, and, you know, just noticing these points in your life when you became aware of a shift in the way someone behaves around you or the shift in the dynamic between you and someone else or a shift in the way that your behaviour is perceived. You know, I was quite a sort of... um, I've got a camp young kid and quite um, very theatrical in lots of ways. Um, and and I look back at how I've changed over the years and I'm just very aware that there have been so many factors influencing and shaping me, which comes back to this point about authenticity. Like, I'm very happy the way I am at the moment and yet I'm very aware that what has brought me here haven't all been conscious decisions. I'm really, really fascinated by that idea that something that might be um, a transitional point between being a boy and being a man is no longer touching each other and kind of being a bit scared of each other's bodies, i.e. going from hugging to handshakes, that sense of keeping a distance. That feels uh, kind of startling to me. I haven't heard it expressed like you've just expressed it before. Um, As a boy who was also a camp young man, I'm really, really interested to hear about your experiences, let's say around six years old. So I was always sort of more friends with girls than boys. And there's just always a sense of, you know, I've always loved dressing up. (laughs) You know, there's a sort of dressing up element, you know, and I remember playing a game with my brother. (laughs) Basically, like I... I wanted him to be my baby or something. Do you know what I mean? It's like I was going to be the mum and he was going to be the baby and I had this dress that I wanted to wear. And uh, I'm sure he really hated it. <laughs> you know? But um, there was those sort of aspects of... Some of the words that come to mind as I'm talking about it actually are really interesting because there's something around masks and putting on different identities And I wonder how much of it is to do with this early sense of trying to understand who I was and trying to experiment with that and find ways of connecting with who I was 
being aware that I felt different. I've always been very aware of feeling like a bit of an outsider. So there's something, and I hadn't really thought about it in that way before, but there's something about that sense of mask, which can be a hiding protection thing, but can also just be an experimentation thing as well. Yeah, I empathise with so much of that. I think, like you, I've always kind of joked about feeling from such a young age like a little alien and so seeing everything as performance if you if you felt like you were you kind of fitted in as a man being a man might seem default and like that isn't drag in itself but I think because I felt like an alien as a little boy kind of men felt like um, they were dressing up just as much as women and there was a sense of drag to how they behaved as well and just again those kind of early forays into camp for me I think I was spoken another podcast about being obsessed with Frank Spencer and things like that and just that idea of as a kid, not being able to say who you are, but being able to point to it in other people in the culture. And I think there was an element of that for me, of I can spot aspects of myself in lots of female friends. And that's why I was being drawn to them, because they had something quite loudly in their personality that was quite nascent in mine. Um, and the same with Frank Spencer, kind of in wearing masks and pretending to be other people around the house, be that mums or sitcom characters. I was kind of revealing myself through pretense, and I think I've carried on doing that as a storyteller, and it sounds like you have to some extent as well. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I definitely also, um, I was a, you know, um, voracious reader. And so there's something about um, exploring different different worlds, you know, just being very aware. I think I've always had this sort of, awareness that the world is so big there's so much to discover there's you know um and a pull we've always had this strong pull to bigness <laughs> you know i i love yeah i love cities and i wonder as well if there's something in that which is around finding yourself or something you know um being attracted to, to scale and and uh this space to explore within and to experiment within where you're not fixed to one way of being that there's space to say I'm going to try this I'm going to try this I'm going to be this way today um so for me you know the, the reading was I also my my household um could often be very um quite it's quite an anxious household at times and so I think some of it was also about me retreating into a story world um so there's definitely, I, I see the two as linked, you know, there's something around exploring through stories, through performance, through trying on different identities. And that's partly about exploring self. And partly, I think, just some sense of the scale and breadth of possibilities, <laughs> you know, why why pin yourself down to just this when there's all these things? I haven't heard that expressed before in terms of the lure of the city, and I think there's something really, really interesting in that. And you can be all the different sides of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about uh, your sense of self and sense of identity as a 60-year-old. Um, how did that change by the time you'd reached, say, 16? Yeah, so a lot happened in that time. And I think starting secondary school was tough for me. I think when I was young, I sort of said earlier, most of my, my close friends were, were girls. 
and I went to an all boys grammar school. And that was a sort of strange experience at times. I mean, you know, it totally reinforced the sense of being a bit of an outsider in some ways, because you you basically had, I don't know, say 85, 90% of the boys would just play football and sports at lunchtime and break time. And then you'd have the little corner of misfits sort of doing whatever random games we were doing inside somewhere. Do you know what I mean? So this is very, again, that kind of reinforced and exacerbated that sense of being different and being on the outside a little bit. And also just, I think, puberty and becoming more self-conscious. And so my storytelling definitely slowed down. I wrote much less. Uh, I think around that time, this sense of perfectionism, And I think going to a very academic school where I was quite bright and was, you know, you're funneled through subject areas that you're good at. You know, everything becomes doing what you're good at and pursuing things where you get praise. And I that started a pattern which went on for a long time of really prioritising things that generate external praise. So I think it was a strange time. It wasn't a particularly unhappy time, but it wasn't a time when I felt myself. You know, there's a strange combination. I had a very, one of my best friends was um, a gay guy. Strangely, we sort of, on the very first day of school, we we bumped into each other walking up the sort of the path into school and we got chatting on the first day, became close friends for the next sort of five, six, seven years um, and he was a gay guy, turned out. And so we ended up coming out to each other, I think around the age of 15. Um, and mm. when I was with him, particularly after we'd come out to each other, we could be quite, you know, purposefully camp and silly around each other, sort of, and have silly, you know, games and jokes and what have you that were sort of fun. And I was also, as I said, very self-conscious. And so there's probably a real tension there around when did I feel most myself? I'm really interested in that idea that you were talking about of um, as young men and as young teenagers, we pursue those things that give us praise. And whilst they might be academic things, to some people that might also be performing masculinity. As teenagers, we pursue where we get praise and that can often be Um, within a pack which is why so many people might feel they need to perform and put that mask on sometimes but I think there's still that sense of camp being a story that you learn as well and it's part of that story of what it might be to be a gay person so like you I kind of felt it felt um, really really exciting to explore aspects of yourself that had remained dormant or unsaid so if that was your relationship with identity at 16 so can I ask you to talk a little bit about your yourself and your relationship with identity at 26 and how if at all that had changed from when you were 16 I had a story in my head that the ages of 25 to 27 were going to be the best years of my life (laughs) and I just had this like I think it's because when you're younger you can imagine your 20s but anything beyond 30 just feels like this homogenous kind of and then after 30 I'm just old and over 30 and I'll just have reached whatever I've reached, and life will just be forever thus. And so my 20s were, were 
fun and tumultuous and, you know, whatever different ways. And I hit 26. And I think 26 was really significant for me, actually, because um, I'm going to guess it was around 26. It might have been verging on 27, but it's around that age. Um, I had, uh, I, I think from the age of about, from really university, just before university, um, going out and partying became quite a big thing for me. And um, it was partly about discovering community, partly about discovering music and love, genuinely loving dancing. And there's lots of good things about it, but there was also a, a negative side in it that it allowed me to distance myself, to detach myself from the areas of discomfort. And so, you know, I don't think I'd ever classified myself as an alcoholic, um, but I definitely drank a lot and it was a crutch for um, the insecurities and the discomfort I had with parts of myself. And I think it was around then, 26th, and I went had my first therapy. And I remember going to a therapy session and just sort of saying, I feel like I'm on a freight train that is going so fast and I haven't got a clue. Like I couldn't even remotely think about changing direction or slowing it down or getting off. I'm just on it and I'm just doing things and doing things and doing things and doing things and there's no intention behind them. There's no awareness or choice involved. I'm just rushing. And that was a really profound moment um, to just suddenly start going, wow, I don't feel like what I'm doing is me or serving me or any choice. I've just created this existence, which is now on a roll. And I got a bit ill. And I think, you know, just burning the candle at both ends, I was sort of a workaholic and then would sort of party to make up for working. I was studying extracurricular, sort of taking marketing qualifications. So just like everything was insanely full. And I could tell myself this story that it was all good and I was doing well, but my body knew otherwise, which really comes back to that thread of embodiment I've talked about a couple of times, you know. Sometimes I think it's wisdom is in our bodies that our minds aren't yet aware of. And that is something I think is a huge, something I'm incredibly passionate about and why it's a thread in my work today. Um, Our mind can tell us, you know, the stories we create are, I'm fine. I really love everything I'm doing. Who wouldn't want to have a great job and party and then, you know, take on these qualifications and better themselves. But I was crumbling. And um, so I think that started really this long process, which has been going on ever since then. So I'm now 41. And this process of just starting to actually question how I'm being, how I'm behaving, uh, what feels right, what the impact on me is of my choices and behaviours, and starting to explore how things, you know, make me feel. Um, uh, one of the, so I know this is, this will I'll come back to masculinity, but I think it's, it's all obviously linked. Um, but there's, you know, even one of the most profound things profound struggles I've had in my life for the last 14 years is giving up coffee you know 
this crutch, this addiction I had, sort of justifying it because it, I love it and it's great and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I'm fine with it. But actually, it was doing me so much harm. I'm such a sense, I'm so sensitive to it that it was just, um, you know, affecting me in lots of different ways. That finally reaching a point of being able to give that up and recognizing that um, I needed to let go of an old part of myself to fully step into the version of myself that I knew I could be and I wanted to be, but I just couldn't bring up until recently, couldn't do that. And that's kind of, I guess, a metaphor for so many things. And in fact, a metaphor for some of the things we're going on, you know, both when we think about, you know, the coronavirus situation at the moment, when we think about the sort of civil unrest in America and globally at the moment, you know, what are we holding on to that isn't serving us? But it's just so deeply enmeshed in our lives that we don't even really recognise there are choices we can let go of. Beautifully put. Thank you. This is full of wisdom for how I might kind of steer that freight train of my 20s, if you like, I think. Uh, like you, I think there's this real sense of often sleepwalking through your life, especially if you've charged it up professionally. You can think, OK, everything is serving me. Everything's running itself. But asking yourself, am I a driver or am I a passenger on this is a really, really important thing. And I think that idea for the listeners who are here to kind of better understand their relationship with masculinity, that sense that your masculinity is something you drive and aren't driven by and is something you can steer the course of. It's a really, really interesting thing to think on, I suppose. Thank you so much for being so articulate and open about that. So that was your relationship with yourself at 26. Can I ask um, about your relationship with your masculinity and your sense of self now, as you say, at 41? Yeah, I'd say the last five years have been the most incredible journey. So almost since about 36, really. And I think I really grappled with you know in a, in a different way my 30s were grappling with how I was meant you know how I was meant to be who I was meant to be how I was meant to be behaving which communities I was part of all that kind of stuff and the last few years there's just been a, a gradual shift in lightness and fluidity and curiosity that has been really wonderful and I think some of it is you know I'm afraid just age some of it is just you've just got to live through some of these things to to build up the self-awareness the sort of the confidence whatever it might be some of it is getting bored of yourself you know some of it is just getting bored of the stories I think one of the biggest things was slowing down leaving my job um, which was a great job, you know, well-paid, you know, senior job, really interesting. And just going, I think I need to just actually stop. Especially when it comes to writing, you know, I'd written lots of stuff for myself, but I'd struggled to really take things further because I was just always busy. I worked lots of evenings and weekends. And when I wasn't working, I was knackered. And I was like, I need to stop. You know, sometimes there's a sense of, if you think about where to go next from where you are, you, you're already seeing things through certain blinkers. You know, you're closing down possibilities because you're thinking, well, from here, I've got to go onwards. But actually, what if you just get off completely? 
So what are the ways in which you can get off completely to just recognize that you could go in so many different directions? Um, so for me, getting off completely was uh, an opportunity to to stop, you know. So I first of all, went back to university. I went and was like, if I'm serious about writing, I'm not making enough progress by myself. I'm going to go into a course. So I did a master's in, in script writing um, between the ages of 37 and 39, um, <clears throat> which was brilliant, writing for film, TV, and theatre. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, I I did a leadership, just, just before this happened, I did a leadership program and that's when I first started training as a coach so it's been a really incredible process of stripping away stripping away stripping away stripping away sort of layers and in some ways reconnecting to some of who I was as a young boy and in some ways looking forward to who I want to be and sort of finding a middle place there's something about reconnecting with my quietness. So in slowing down, I could reconnect with my quietness. You know, the, the quiet boy who sat and read for days and days and days or watched films by himself. You know, the, the sort of the partying, the extrovert nature that I built up through my 20s and some of my 30s is also part of me. But again, that wasn't inauthentic. It's a part of me that really resonates with me. But when it dominates, it can shut out my space for quietness, it can shut out my space for creativity. And so where I'm at now is finding, you know, getting comfortable on this spectrum of introvert, extrovert, going, when do I need to be by myself to be creative? But then when do I need to be with others to bounce ideas around, to get feedback, to get energy from them? So all of that's been going on on a professional level. And then as a you know, as a gay man, I think it's also been a time for just really exploring, you know, being open to more exploration around different parts of me as well. And just sort of really getting curious about the the parts of me that I've maybe repressed or been scared of. And yeah, I guess it's just getting curious and understand, getting more comfortable with the fact that this is a journey and not an end point. And I know that can all sound a bit pretentious and wanky at times, but it's going, but it's true. You know, there's not, I used to have this sense that I'd get to a place where suddenly, you know, like I was saying earlier about 30 is just this point after which everything's a bit the same and you're just old. I always thought there'd be a point when I sort of hit a point of going, now I know exactly who I am and that's who I am forevermore. You know, now I've embraced this fact that I'm always going to be changing and growing. I'm always going to be learning. And so to to accept that and enjoy it, to embrace the fact that I am this multifaceted, multifaceted, complex person who has different wants and needs, parts of myself that I'm comfortable with and familiar with, parts of myself I'm less comfortable with. And on that, I think... You know, one one part of myself I've always been very uncomfortable with is my anger. Um, and a lot of people who know me probably go, I just don't think you're an angry person. You know, you seem so calm and happy and da-da-da. And that's true to a point. But I think I also deeply suppress and am uncomfortable with my anger because I fear it. Um, and I think that's something, you know in the conversation around, um, you know, masculinity, 
is a really important thing, you know, sort of going, being comfortable with the breadth of our emotions and our responses to things, embracing them all and knowing that they can all be part of us. It's how we respond to them that defines us. You know, we can all be angry. We can all be fed up. We can all, you know, be upset. You know, these things are all not only possible, they're important. These are really important human emotions and responses to things. But then our choice is in how we respond to that. And that is what defines us. Thank you so much for such a great response. I'm really interested in that idea that lots of people have brought up that to some extent, finding your authentic self whilst it is looking forward and imagining who you want to be, it is returning to those kind of pre-shame years of being a child where before we learn lots about certain behavior and certain ways we're allegedly allegedly supposed to behave and just that link now you say your embrace of being a complicated multifarious person might hark back to that sense of trying on the masks as a kid and playing around a lot and trying on lots of different types of person and i think there might be something really comforting um for lots of listeners and certainly myself here in that in that sense of you are not you never finish cooking. You are constantly on that journey. You're constantly on that train, as you um, mentioned, but you are driving it, not being driven by it, and you can get off at any time. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you for your candour and wisdom. Lovely. It's been a pleasure, James. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been Mantor, the Masculinity Conversations, brought to you by me, James McDermott, and Story Machine Productions, with music by Jordan Mallory Skinner and produced by Sam Ruddock. We're keen to talk to anyone who wants to share their experience of masculinity. If you would like to be featured in a forthcoming episode, drop us a line at storymachineproductions at gmail.com.